My name is Anita Washington, your Living Unashamed Speaker and Success Coach, and I have been bringing you edutainment, information for you to use to better your life. Today, I am sitting with Miss Lizette Johnson of Richmond, Virginia. She is a domestic violence survivor. A lot of you know my story with physical abuse and being a sibling abuse survivor. So today, I'd like for Lisette to share with us just a little bit about her story, and then we'll get into the survivor piece, the piece that you really need to move forward with your life after having a painful experience. Alison, hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to this interview. Yes, I think, you know, there's a lot I can share with, you know, um, some signs as well as how to move forward once you feel pretty stuck. You can get unstuck because <laughs> there is a way through everything. It's just yeah. not over or under, but you, you really have to process everything. Exactly. So just give us a little bit of background. So for those that aren't familiar with your story, okay, know a little bit about you. Okay. Um, well, I was a business owner and um, my kids uh, are still going in the same school district that they started preschool in. And um, I was, you know, I met a man, just fell head over heels, in love, we got married, we had kids, you know, it sounded like the Norman Rockwell sort of thing. Um, but he slowly revealed himself to be not so nice a guy. Now, all of his friends that he'd had throughout his life, um, our couple friends all thought he was, you know, awesome. But at home, he was somebody very different, and he was very verbally abusive, um, berating me, very controlling, um, wouldn't put me on his checking account. Uh, you know, I, the money that I made, I took care of the children's insurance, I took care of their preschool, I took care of every, all their clothing, everything. So I, I sort of didn't have any money mm -hmm. of my own, even though I owned this business, and I didn't have access to his money on top of that. I also had to, you know, pay, you know, it's sort of a marriage made on a business deal, half of the house payment and, and you know, the utilities and on top of these other things. So um, he really had me in a very um, uh, vulnerable spot because when I felt like the children were not um, being served, you know, that they needed to have a really healthy example of how two people got along, and we certainly were not that, I wanted to leave him. And I didn't really have any financial resources to do that, but I knew as far as um, for the children that that would be best, that would be the best for them. And so I told him, yeah, I don't think I'm happy, you are not happy, and um, I want a divorce. And um, almost immediately, Anita, he, he said, well, you would, you know, deprive your children of a father? And I didn't, I just, what, what do you mean? Because you're still their father, you'll see them, you know, you'll have them every other weekend or whatever we work out. And he sort of sat there for a second and he said, well, I would never want to see any of you again. And that was sort of 
kind of, you know, we would play these mind games and, you know, make me feel bad or make me, you know, sort of try and start apologizing to him. Well, I don't, I don't want to make you feel that way. Um, but then I just kind of, you know, took that for what he said. And when he, he realized he didn't get a reaction out of me, then he said, um, well, if you think you're leaving here with those kids, you've got another thing coming. I will go to full, for full custody. You've been in counseling. I'll prove that you're an unfit mother and um, you'll never see them again. And I said, we just finished saying that I'll never, you'll never see them again. So um, I, you know, I kind of said, you know, we, we are, you know, moving forward with this. And when he realized that I was very serious, um, that it, this wasn't going to, if you don't start shaping up, if you don't stop treating me this way, I'm going to leave. I mean, I pretty much said, without a doubt, I'm leaving. It's done. This is over. Um, and um, he had tried some very aggressive things to re-engage me by stalking me, following me around, um, reading my emails, reading my cell phone, um, you know, looking on my Facebook um, and actually making comments on my Facebook, uh, very derogatory comments, and, you know, calling my family and saying, you know, I think she's bipolar. She she spends all her money just wasted and, and buys things we don't need. Well, I was buying things for the children that they absolutely needed. Um, and, you know, my, my family started saying, well, what is going on with you two? Because, like, we don't know you to be this person. And um, I was in the process of counseling because I knew I needed support. I knew that I needed people around me who could help me get through this because I knew he was going to really dig his heels in. It was going to be very, very contentious, and he wasn't going to be nice about it because he really hadn't been nice to that point. Um, and so when push came to shove and I said, you know, this is it, this is the weekend I'm moving out, he actually kind of backed off all those things. Mm -hmm. And um, started kind of playing pretty nice. And I thought, well, that's you know, really strange because he's been, you know, really, really aggressive. And I, um, he was supposed to, and throughout this time period, he was set out, going to go stay with a friend. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to retire and I'm going to move to Paris, you know, just crazy things. And, uh, and, but he wouldn't leave the house. And so I decided that I was going to leave. And he, um, he, he kind of got this sort of calm demeanor. And um, I just said, you know, I, I said, you know, look, um, he, he told me he was going to spend the weekend with his sister. And I said, well, look, could you, you know, the kids are asleep. I want to go to church. It's our first week of um, church school. And it is, you know, I want to go to the service. So if you would just watch them. My daughter was 12 at the time. My son was nine, was five days shy of his 10th birthday. And I said, you know, just until they wake up, because they'll be fine. They can get themselves cereal and watch TV or play a game or whatever. And he said, okay, I will. And I thought, well, that's pretty nice of him. Because <laughs> throughout, throughout when the children were around, that he was, um, I'm not watching those kids. You better get a babysitter. Like, like they weren't his. Like, that, you know, this was my responsibility. And um, so I... Um, came home from church and he was still there and I said I thought you were going to your sister's and he was very sullen very quiet 
Um, and I, you know, he said, would you please lay down on the bed with me? And I said, no, we're, we're like, we're separating. None of that's going to happen anymore. And um, so I said, I'm going to meet my girlfriend. I have to go for a walk. Um, the kids are downstairs situated, playing their Wii. Um, and so I went in the bedroom to change my clothes. And um, he came in with a gun. And um, I was sitting at the farthest corner of the bedroom. And he stood about four feet from me, and he raised his hand. And I saw, as soon as he started raising his hand, I knew exactly. It was a gun. It was covered by a white towel. So I wasn't like 100%, but I just, all of a sudden, it all came together. I knew. I knew. I knew. And as soon as he started to raise his hand, I immediately jumped up from the chair. And so instead of shooting me in the head, which is where he was aiming, um, he shot me in the chest, and um, I ran past him, and um, we had a, an addition, so the master bedroom had a door to outside, thankfully. But I did have to run past him, and he kept shooting me. Um, you know, I was screaming to the kids, get out of the house. Daddy's got a gun. Call 911. Get out of the house. Um, when my daughter sent my son, who was nine at the time, to a neighbor's to go get help. And she came upstairs to see, you know, what was going on. And, of course, I was running away from the house. So um, he did shoot me in the back as well. Um, I didn't go down with that either. And so she witnessed him shooting me. And he turned the gun on himself and shot himself. So, you know, I didn't know where my children were. Um, I made it to a neighbor's yard and was sort of in and out of consciousness. Um, but you were one tough sister to be able to withstand and keep moving at the same time. Um, you know, I, it's, I have to say that that wasn't a conscious choice. Your body takes over if you allow it. And, um... It's the adrenaline. The adrenaline. Insane, you know, as soon as as soon as I saw that gun, you know, I remember the first shot, and I don't remember any of the other ones because I was just sort of on a mission. And um, with that, um, you know, that you know, I remember some parts, mm -hmm. but but really, you know, it took a while to remember much of it. Um, I knew my children were in danger, and um, you know it, it, it was difficult. It was difficult because I could hear my daughter's voice, but I knew if I turned around, that he would have full frontal, and that would be it. And and I and I, it wasn't something conscious. It's something that made my body continue to run. Um, I did. I had two uh, collapsed lungs. Uh, my diaphragm was shattered. Um, uh, a bullet um, nicked my heart. Um, one wound up in my liver, and um, and so I was in pretty serious yes. shape to keep running. And I'm sure that running, you know, made the blood, you know, loss even more severe. But I, I had to get out of the way. Um, and I didn't. I heard the last shot. I did not know. Was it my daughter? or Was it him? And um, I. I just had to keep running. And so, 
you know, I, all the things came together. Now that I'm a domestic violence advocate, I know all the things that I did wrong. <laughs> um, from like, for instance, people. The first question that everyone always asks is, "Why did you stay?" When you first oh. saw the signs begin to kick in, why did you stay? You know, I think when we fall in love with somebody, you know, and I, I tell people, you know, you have an argument with somebody. Well, when you're in an abusive relationship, that argument looks a whole lot different. But when you have an argument with somebody, you don't bail on the first argument. Even if it's a drop-down, dirty, mean fight, you sort of are like, wait a minute, we should be able to move through this. And it, it starts so, um, so small. It's almost like, did I hear that right? Or... And, you know, and, and so your mind sort of, you have to sort of process it, knowing what I know now. And, and people always talk, we talk about red flags. Nobody's right, you know, no one is waving this red flag, right? right. You know, with a sign on it that says, this is an abusive, re you know, it just kind of plays with your head a little. Almost always starts out with emotional. Um, you know, I didn't get a lot of, or experience a lot of physical abuse. But I did experience pushing and shoving and pinching. And but never anything that left a bruise to where if you called the right. authorities or tried right. to report it, it would have just been your word against his. Right, exactly. Which would have made the situation. Right, because I knew they were, they're not going to arrest him on something I said. And I didn't, you don't want your, even I work with women who really, they're coming into the emergency room and they have some pretty serious injuries, but they don't want him arrested. They want him to stop this behavior. And it's a long road to realize that that's not something we have control of. And that's not something that benefits them to do. Um, we all kind of do things that, um, you know, um, that works for them. That control they have works for them. It feeds their ego, and um, and recognizing that 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 just there's just not um, something you're going to be able to do. But then, by the time you get to that point. He's already kind of messed with your head saying, nobody wants you. You're not going to be able to make it on your own financially, emotionally. You know, I'll get the kids. I'll keep the kids. You're, you'll never see the kids again. Um, and you then sometimes get the threats. If you try and leave me, I will kill you. And even though it doesn't, you think, hey, why would somebody who says they love me do that? In the back of your mind, you're thinking, yeah, that could really happen. Um, yeah, so there's... From a child standpoint, because during my childhood, my father tried to set the house on fire three separate times. And as a teenager, I always wondered, you know, with my mother, why are we staying here? Why... <laughs> It's a house, there are houses all over the world. Why are we staying here? Mm -hmm. And not until I'd say within the last probably five years that I just accept that I was never going to get the answer I wanted. Right. Because she probably doesn't understand it either. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth of the matter is, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of if you had just one thing 
but it's all these things. And I remember that I just, I would try and think, how can I get out? And I would think about the money. And then I would think about, well, he's still going to have the, he's going to see the kids. So he's going to see the kids and, you know, but I won't be there to, um, you know, sort of soften it up and, and get them out of harm's way. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it just was this big, I, I just felt like I would be going around and around and around and around in circles. And I never saw, oh, and absolutely. And, and even if that isn't an issue, if, if, you know, if it's not the court system and not the visitation, when somebody tells you that if you leave, they're going to kill you, you can't help but feel on some level this, you know, how am I going to do this? Because the truth of the matter is when someone leaves, they're not, that person, they don't just go off to another planet. That person's still there. It's, you know, you can get a protective order. Um, but all that said... There are ways to leave. There are ways to leave safely, which if I had only known, because I thought, well, when you call a domestic violence agency, they're going to tell you, pack up your kids and come to this shelter. And I had a business. I had a life. I, my kids were in their schools and I couldn't be living in a shelter. I didn't realize that domestic violence agencies have counseling to try and help you safety plan. And even if you choose for now that you need to stay or you want to stay, helping you be safe within that house and within that relationship as far as, you know, not arguing in the kitchen because there's knives in the kitchen. Assessing, does he have guns? Does he have access to guns? Um, you know, we try and work with people, you know, try and get a, say, uh, um, uh, Post office box, an anonymous post office box. Get a um, bank account in your main name. Start putting some money away. Make sure that account does not come up on your phone, does not come up in the mail. Um, those little things can help someone squirrel away just ever so little bit of money. Um, and, you know, almost playing the game. Once you have decided you want to leave, instead of saying, I'm out of here, um, really just sort of um, getting things in order, getting things in order with the kids' birth certificates, um, having things um, so that when, um, if you need to leave quickly, you know, you leave your pocketbook by the door. You know, you know, we all take care of, you know, put it on the kitchen counter and all, you know, when you get your keys and your cell phone, what are you going to do? So, you know, keeping these things top of mind mm -hmm. and then working with a domestic violence agency. And even before people get to that point, there are, there's a toll-free uh, national hotline to just kind of talk to somebody and say, I, I don't know, is this abuse? Or, you know, I, I feel like it might be, but I don't want to leave them, but I don't know what to do. Um, you know, just to sort of sort it out with somebody who understands that. Because as friends, we want to say, oh, I wouldn't put up with that. You know, like you, you as children, you right. want to say, Mom, why are you, why are you doing this? Right. Why did we move to a different hour? Like, we need to get out of here. What are you going to say, yes. Mom? Yes. Um, but she may, in her mind, have thought, this is the best way I can protect them because if they're not with me, 
he could hurt them more. You know, there's all kinds of things that go through in someone's head on what they think. Of course, what we know now is that um, living with trauma increases um, and, uh, and violence in the household increases, um, you know, young men's uh, chances of being an abuser and increases um, young women's chances of being abused. Um, it doesn't always play out like that. And one of the things that is the um, sort of the, the, the dividing road is how early an intervention into um, reprocessing into healthy relationship models, they can, um, you know, the earlier the intervention, the less damage, obviously. Now, your event mm -hmm. happened in 2010. 2009. 2009, 2009. yeah. Okay. And this is 2016. Right. So, like, walk me through your recovery. What was, oh, what was to say that, let's say, what was the first thing that you did that you felt was normalizing life for you and your two kids? 